The gospel lesson comes to us from the good news according to St. Luke, the third chapter. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is the gospel of our Lord. So, new year, new beginnings, and yet many of the same old things, right? Oh, how cruel it can be. This uh, 10th anniversary, it's freezing with no heat, uh, and so still separate, a new wave. And it's frustrating because it means that we can't get together in the community, and we can't fully get together and lament some of the difficult things we've walked through together and lived through together, and, or get together to mutually encourage one another for all uh, the mutual Faithfulness and sacrifice over the years, fully rejoice and celebrate and give thanks. Uh, we had hoped right now maybe just for a fresh start, and yet we find ourselves still working through things that keep us separated and distant. Uh, often circumstances like this uh, make me feel like, you know, well, honestly, that just maybe God doesn't care, you know? If you have these small things in your own life, I don't mean to about the church, just in your own life, think maybe when things aren't going right or they're just going on, that, man, is God around? Does he really love you? Maybe you're uh, uniquely sort of not cursed, but just unlucky. It's hard to remember on your own. It's hard to remember on your own that God is love and that he loves you and that you are loved by other people. It's hard to remember that when we were forced to be alone and separated and living through difficult circumstances. And this is hard because one of the deepest desires is to belong. We long to form relationships and to be a part of community. We've known this intuitively. I've just described the existential version of sort of understanding this. Of course, scientists and sociologists have been confirming this through countless studies over the last few decades that, you know, just as, as animals in the sense relative to our body size, we have larger brains than any other creature on Earth. Isn't that strange? Neuroscientists have discovered that the primary purpose of our brains is actually social interaction. Our default mode, when we're not concentrated on a math problem or driving or making dinner, is to think about other people's thoughts, feelings, and goals. See, we're social animals. We have this basic need to belong to a group and to form relationships and to connect. And this is a big part of why we do church. 
Why we formed a new church 10 years ago for worship, yes, of course, but also to form loving bonds in our community, to connect others to the love of God and to the love of others so that they can answer the question for themselves with more confidence, who am I? To whom do I belong? They know the answer to that, that who they are loved by, by God and others, Because see, if we answer anything other than I belong to God and I am beloved by God, then we are setting ourselves up for heartache and loneliness and division. This is what the Bible says from beginning to end, that before anything was created, there was this society of love called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly one and yet three persons. A society of perfect love and out of the overflow and abundance of this love, God created this glorious earth and humanity in their plurality and unity to be a mirror image of God in his love. A community of love, a beloved community that the love continues to overflow and to grow and to multiply and to expand. That we are meant to know that we are beloved of God and that our love for one another comes from God's love and that we do love one another. Hear this again, when Jesus came to be with us, the first thing he did launching into his public ministry from a more private life into a public life, the first thing he did was go to be baptized, to go out into the desert, to cross the river, to have the water come upon him just as it did at the beginning of all things, to become a new creation, to launch a new thing in the world. And when all the people were out there being baptized, it says Jesus also was baptized. He became just like us. He took upon himself a baptism of starting over, of newness, of repentance. That's what that means, to change, to start over, change your mind, to begin again. He became like us to get a fresh start, to come out as a new creation. And as he's praying, the heavens are open and the Spirit comes upon him just as they hovered over the creation in the first days. And just as God's voice in the beginning said, it is good, it is good, and behold them, they are very good. This voice comes upon Jesus in the desert, over the river, Over Jesus' head and upon his brow, as it were, this voice booms out to all people that are there. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Let me translate it. I take great pleasure in you. I delight in you. I am pleased with you. This is so beautiful that Jesus came to get baptized and to identify with us. This is, in a sense, the beginning of... This is why the beginning of the gospel, the good news about the salvation that is in Jesus, this is the beginning, a very important beginning of what salvation is. That Jesus came to be with us, to save all of our experience. Not just to, not just to deal with a debt that we can go to heaven when we die and be in his presence, although of course that, nothing less than that, but more. I was just reading that by the time you got to the 13th century in Western tradition, There are lots and lots and lots of fasts and not many feasts, but Christmas wasn't a big deal. Easter was, okay? But St. Francis decided that Christmas ought to be a big deal for this reason, because it's the good news that God himself became one of us. He took on our flesh. This was the beginning of salvation. So he said, I want there to be so much meat that even the walls of the house can eat meat. And he came up with the idea of putting lights on the Christmas trees to show what their true nature was, he said. And we continue this tradition today. We celebrate Christmas and the incarnation because it shows that God and humanity are united in Jesus. 
that we have a union with the Christ. And this is the beginning of salvation. And this union means that we can know that in our frailty, in our finite nature, in our weakness, in our isolation, in our fear, in everything that besets us, we can know that we are united to the Christ, to God himself, in a bond of love, and that the voice comes over us. You are my beloved. I take great pleasure in you. This is what happens when we get baptized. We were hoping to have a baptism today. We're going to have one in a couple weeks, hopefully a few weeks. And you'll see what happens. We pour the water on the head of an individual, and we say that individual's name. And then we say the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit over the individual so that they will know for the rest of their life, every time they take a drink of water and think about it, every time they splash water on their face in the morning or go for a swim or take a shower, they can remember that the waters of baptism came upon them and said their name, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was placed on their name, and they are united to Christ, and they get a new start. It's actually called a baptism of regeneration, of being born again, of being made new. By grace through faith, when we are united to Christ through faith and through baptism, we become one with him. And this phrase, this voice of God says over each son and daughter, you are my beloved, I take pleasure in you. And you are to hear that ringing over your head every moment of every day. And this means you can face freezing cold or a heat wave. Isolation by pandemic or a season in a free and joyful crowd in the future somewhere. You can endure praise or insult, failure or success, lean seasons and years of prosperity, etc., etc. You can face it all because you know that you have the same power and knowledge, the spirit in you, over you as it was on Jesus, hovering over you, and this voice of God saying, you are my beloved. I really take pleasure in you, Jameson. In you, say your name. And so I want you to think about this individually, whatever you face this week in this new year. But I want to do something a little bit different for our 10th anniversary this morning. I want you to think individually about this. Reflect on this. Again, when you splash water in your face, take a shower. Remember that you're the beloved. Especially when you're lonely. Especially when you fail or sin or you're down on yourself. But this morning, for a few minutes, remember that baptism means you are part of his people. You are part of this new creation, this new humanity, this new plurality that's been made one. You are his bride, his body, his church. You are part of the beloved community. And so, on your 10th anniversary, I want you to hear and believe God's spirit in you, that's been with you and will remain in you. And his voice over you. I want you to remember in our life together, it's ups and downs. I want to recall some of it. In light of our baptism, our union with Christ. I'm going to remind you of our story. We're going to walk through it. And I want you to do a simple thing. Every time I say, and God's people remembered, or something to that effect, whatever comes out of my mouth that sounds something like the word remembered. And God's people remembered, I want you to say, we are your beloved. You take pleasure in us. Okay. If I skip any of your favorite parts of the history, 
you know, make sure it makes it into the party, okay? Dozens of years ago, there was a Fort Greene small group, and it met in the neighborhood. At some point, one of our friends named Richard started courting me and inviting me to the neighborhood a lot and winking and saying, isn't this a nice neighborhood? Wouldn't it be nice to have a church plant here? In due time, we had considerations and deliberations with our network, our church planting network, and there was a choice made that we could plant a church in Clinton Hill and pull from Fort Greene and Bed-Stuy. And so I moved my family in to this neighborhood, and we started saying, hey, I think we're going to all do this together. We had this new mission to start what we called good gossip to our neighbors that, hey, we might be forming a new church community, a new faith community in this neighborhood. What would it look like? What could it be? Who could be involved? We started trying to find ways to create community and to invite others and to serve the neighborhood. Was I supposed to say? And God's people remembered? Yeah. In order to plant a church, we needed people and money. So we figured out our budget, and we realized we had to have 50% of it and something like that. And so we were tasked with raising $100,000 and securing 50 plant team commitments. That's people, 50 people for a one-year commitment and, and to have at least one ongoing service project in the neighborhood. We started countless barbecues, usually in our backyard. We had plant team vision meetings at the Harris's. We took pledges from people at the Park Slope Congregation and Williamsburg and other newcomers that we met. We began to get a vision for how we could be a church in, of, and for this area of Brooklyn. We thought it would be creative. It would, by necessity, be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and come from different economic backgrounds. We wanted to be committed to sharing the good news in word and in deed. We came up with the tagline, a church for the whole neighborhood. And God's people remembered Not even close to allowed starting to consider uh, launching worship. We instead started a campus ministry at the Pratt Institute. We called it the Art Faith Collective, and a good group of students started getting involved weekly. Our first service project was restoring what was the defunct Revolutionary Garden in Fort Greene Park, which is still there on the west edge of the park today. We got our hands in the dirt together, and we brought renewal and new life, and it felt exciting and good. And God's people remembered. Our vision meetings started to grow a little bit. There was a little bit of a buzz. New people were moving into the neighborhood. They found out about us from friends, and our plant team started to grow. We began to get to know one another and to connect and to invite others and to get a shared vision. We reached our 50 people. However, we were really short on the startup money. It was struggling. It was a financial crisis, not too long after the financial crisis in the country. Uh, our sister church, Flatbush Community Church, had recently had to close its own doors for financial challenges. And so at some point we were getting close, but I stopped taking a paycheck for a few months just so our balance would go up rather than diminish. And in the nick of time, Park Slope Church came through with a huge donation because they'd had a banner year of giving and pledged their uh, surplus to us. And we were allowed to begin looking for a worship service. And God's people remembered. I was allowed to go around and meet with as many local churches as possible to learn from them, to see their worship services, to see how they were doing, to meet with their pastors afterwards, to ask for advice and blessing, to seek ways to partner, 
to a person, every pastor in church was welcoming and affirming and said that we would be welcome here and we could do new and good things in the neighborhood. And then there was Pastor Trufant, who if we're doing a longer version, I would tell, I would tell this story because he's the one with the big church and a lot of people. And he was really intimidating. And he had me on the back of my chair for about an hour. And I thought, this guy really doesn't like me. He really doesn't want me to start this church. But instead, it was really just an interview and I didn't know it. And at the end, he said, how about we host you for as cheap a rent as you can possibly afford, and we tell the whole neighborhood about you, and we try to bless you and get you off to a great start. And so we started planning to meet at Emmanuel Baptist Church for our first worship service. First, we had our first annual marathon outreach in the fall of 2011. Then we began our life as a fully functioning church with an actual worship service on Epiphany 1, January 8th, 2012. We were called Christ Church Clinton Hill, our service was in the Intimate Fellowship Hall of EBC at 5 p.m. on Sunday evenings. We'd walk to church in the dark. We were partnered from the beginning with the Canva Homeless Shelter at the Church of St. Luke and St. Matthew and sent regular volunteers over there. We had a volunteer choir and no amplification. The Brooklyn paper attended our first service and printed an article called The Book of Hove, Clinton Hill Pastor Gets Inspiration from Jay-Z wherein they misinterpreted me as trashing the Barclays Center as a Tower of Babel and trying to throw down the gauntlet with Mr. Sean Carter. It's true. You can go find it. People came. We grew. We got more diverse. Pastor Hildebrand and his family were regular attenders and were able to help with pulpit supply a lot. We expanded to three community groups. We sent money and people to do medical missions in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. We started a robust prayer team that lasted for many, many years. We blessed many people in need, materially, relationally, and spiritually through our mercy team. We would occasionally get bumped up to the third floor at EBC with little notice. We also did many joint services with them, including a Christmas Eve special where I was asked to preach. And because I'm an idiot, I used the phrase, Jesus dropped the mic when he raised from the dead. It brought the house down. I'm an idiot. And God's people remembered On the evening of October 28, 2012, we met for worship in the evening and we sang the words of How Firm a Foundation, which include, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of grief shall not thee overflow. I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless thee, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. We sang these words while the winds grew and Hurricane Sandy was blowing into town and approached our shores. And the following day, we weathered the storm together. And then soon after, began to help with the recovery as we launched a Hurricane Sandy recovery project led by so-called Pastor of Disaster, Brian Stedman. Uh, and this recovery project lasted so long that we were one of the last church-based ministries in the city still serving with hurricane relief years later. And God's people remembered. After one year, we outgrew the space we were in. We began looking for a new location. Our network discerned a need to join more fully together in order to better share resources as we continued planting new parish churches in Brooklyn. So in one whirlwind spring of 2013, we joined into one Brooklyn church with three congregations. We changed our name to Resurrection Brooklyn and we moved to a new denomination. And all God's people remembered. So one full year in, we found a new location at St. Mary's Episcopal Church on Willoughby next to Pratt. It was a big culture change to our worship feel. If you remember, we would come in right after, or sometimes still during, the service of a Ghanaian congregation that worshipped in the afternoon before us. There was always a cloud of incense. It was dark, echoey, gothic, yet colorful. 
The radiator pipes would turn on in the middle of the service and sound like a million gargoyles gargling. We began serving as tutors for immigrant children at the Sisters of Mercy convent next door. In the years to come, we would grow, especially with the 20-somethings. But there were no family visitors, ever. No new families joined that weren't there at the beginning. Uh, for years upon years. And those years were lovely, though. We had barbecues on the lawn, and neighbors would stop by to eat with us. We had feasts and weddings in the fellowship hall. We grew to five community groups all the way into Bushwick. And all God's people remembered. We eventually helped start an arts ministry at PS20. We helped start the holistic and housing-focused nonprofit Brook and Jubilee and served with them. We took a temporary lease as the managers of a locked-up, worn-down, and derelict lot on Bedford Avenue as part of New York City's New Gardens for Healthy Communities program. We spent the next many years leading and organizing a coalition. Uh, I down a, a weird word there. Uh, a group of neighbors. How about that? Both old-timers and newcomers that came together to renew this lot on Bedford Avenue, and we turned it into what we called the Whole Neighborhood Community Garden. It's just still there. So even without permanent space of our own, we were finding ways to witness to God's love in word and deed. And all God's people remembered. And then, in what were perhaps my favorite years, I got a call from a friend who I'd tried to court to come plant the church with me years before, but he didn't want to raise money. He wanted a paycheck. He called me. His life had brought him to New York City, where he was from, uh, but he recently lost his job, and he asked if we could revisit the conversation. Even though we didn't have enough money, I said, well, if we can experiment. I'd love to have you. If you would raise a third of your money, and the network can raise a third of their money, and I can raise a third of the money, let's give it a try. And so Omari Hill came on staff, and his family moved in, and we were suddenly a multi-ethnic-led church community by two pastors, and one of my best friends got to minister with me week in, week out, day after day. In those years, we had 11 pastors on staff in the network. New church plants were forming. Omari was around. And of course, as you know, it didn't last as long as we wanted. We got to have a couple great years with Omari before the money ran out, and he moved back to Charlotte. But those were good years, good years to have him and a grief to lose him. And God's people remembered. While Omari was still with us, we discerned that we needed to stop being a youth group and actually turn into a church. Uh, so we decided we needed a morning service so that families would come, and not just the 20-somethings. So we searched around. We searched everywhere, high and low. And there was one opportunity to move to a morning service, and it was the Masonic Temple. In the years to come, there's lots of stories, and I'm going to skip most of them for now. But I will say one thing happened at the Masonic Temple. A revival broke out, and we suddenly grew. We grew the church the old-fashioned way, and that is by being fruitful and multiplying children. <laughs> we really grew with the children uh, at the Masonic Temple, and all God's people remembered. We launched a racial reconciliation group and really dove into the challenges of systemic racism and the challenges to reconciliation. And this did really great work for years. It also at the end led to conflict between some of the leadership and myself and some of the families, some people left the church over it and it was really painful. 
And all God's people remembered. We sent people and money to two new church plants in Brooklyn Heights and Sheepshead Bay. We helped support Safe Families for Children, and it became our primary uh, means of mission in the city. We had a vision campaign and came up with the virtues of welcome, worship, and witness as the virtues we most wanted to grow in. Our network decided on a two-year process of splitting up the network and going into individual churches that were self-governed and self-sustaining as individual congregations. We began that two-year process. We then hosted a pastoral intern family, the Dotsons, for two years, and we loved on them, and we taught them, and we blessed them before sending them back to California with the hopes of planting a new church there. And God's people remembered. After years of work and conversation and feeling the downs as well as the ups of the Masonic Temple, we were finally invited to come to this place and to worship. And despite the lack of heat at the moment, uh, it has been one of the most lovely places we've had to worship that's most felt like it's ours and we're able to leave things set up and to be here. We were here for just a few months and we were actually really growing. We were growing maybe as big as we'd ever been and there were new families and it felt like there was a lot of momentum. And then a global plague hit and God's people remembered. I'm going to skip for the sake of the fact that most of you have been here through the pandemic, actually walking you through the challenges of seeing perhaps two-thirds of our congregation move away, of spending most of 2020 separate from each other and worshiping by Zoom, of missing Easter and feasts and all the other things we've done together, uh, all the things that we've lost out on the last couple of years. Let's just say it together. God's people remembered we are your beloved. Somehow in the midst of this pandemic a year ago, we actually did particularize, which means we became our own church in the side of the denomination. We incorporated it from scratch, becoming our own organization in the side of the state. Last December, not just this past month, but a year ago, we faced a financial crisis. We had less than one month's money in the bank, and I was pretty certain that we were finally done for. And somehow God provided us with more donations than we've ever received and our reserves grew to higher than they've ever been, double than they've ever been in the history of our church. And God's people remembered. And now here we are, speaking for myself, I'm the last full-time pastor of this network. We have a steadfast, though small, congregation. We have faithful people. You have faithful and steady elders. We have beautiful music. We found creative ways to love one another and our community. We have financial sta stability. We have this new wave of Omicron going around. We have a new year. We also have new opportunities. We have an open and sometimes uncertain future. I spoke to you all last year about pilgrimage and we are on pilgrimage and there will be new paths for us. We will remember that he who sows with weeping is promised to reap with shouts of joy and we will remember that the same God who formed us and has been with us through all of these things is with us now. He will guide us in this year to come and prosper us whatever befalls. For it is true yesterday, today, and forever. This is true. 
Let God's people remember together. We are your beloved. You take pleasure in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.